want us to discuss, like I said, the prophecies of 2016. And one of those was that you will be a winner. You didn't hear that one. You will be a winner. Say, you will be a winner. You are not going to fight for it. If somebody declares you will be a winner, it means he is setting those steps to make you a winner. I can tell you what it takes for people to become winners. Let me give an example. Jim Bolt of Jamaica, who is record nine gold winner at Olympics. I'll tell you what he does to prepare his body to be a winner. He trains six hours every day. Yeah? Running on the race course. He prepares his body by doing a lot of weightlifting. He eats certain kinds of foods that will not increase fat in his body. And he puts himself into ice bath filled with ice cold water. Hallelujah. You didn't know that, eh? They fill the bath with ice water. And he has to go in it and lie down and cool down his body and then get out and go and train very hard and come back again and go under the ice cold water to condition his muscles to the extent that they no longer can be afraid of tension. That's how hard he has to make and condition his body. And he does that all year round only to run for nine seconds. Only to run for how many, how long? Nine seconds. But to make, to become a winner in nine seconds, he has to prepare his body in a very, very, very strenuous manner to get there. And many of these people that you see who the world call champions and winners, they go through a lot of stressing their body, conditioning their psychology, conditioning their muscles, conditioning everything. Even their living environment is conditioned to make them a winner. Well, in your case, I'm here to tell you something different. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Because God is the one who decided to make you a winner. So you should be excited about that. So I want to discuss with you today the winner's attitude. Not because you are going to work so hard to be the winner, but you simply adopt an attitude that agrees with what God has proclaimed about you. Amen? Amen? And I have a lot of examples in my own personal life and in the lives of many people that I have met to tell you to be a winner, just agree with what God has declared about you. Amen? Yes. Hallelujah! Yes. First thing that God has decided we should do is in Malachi chapter 2, verse 2, and that is God telling the priest that they should make up their mind they are going to glorify him. That if they do not live life that will glorify him, he will take away their blessing. I want you to note this. If they do not choose to glorify and to honor him, he will take away 
their blessing. What God is saying is this. I have already blessed you. You didn't make him do that. He has already blessed you. Why? Because he has declared you as a holy priesthood. By the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, and by you coming and declaring Jesus as Lord and personal Savior, God made you his priest, his high priest. And now he says, honor me, give my name glory, let the world know who I am. Declare that I am God who saves. Declare that I am God who prospers. Declare that I am God who gives grace. That's the job of the high priest. He says, when you do this, the blessing I have spoken over you as a priest will be maintained. But if you don't do it, this is what will happen. I will curse your blessing. God will not curse somebody's blessing today in Jesus' name. Because today you are making up your mind that you are going to declare that God and Jesus is Lord of all. Amen? And as you make that choice, God will bless his blessing over your life. Hallelujah. So what do we mean by glorifying God? Um, do I have it on the screen? If we go to this third slide, this is what glorifying God means. It means God is everything and everything is God for you. If you forget everything I taught today, go home with this statement. Glorifying God means you make up your mind. You choose to say God is everything to me and everything to me must be God. Hallelujah. And that's what it means. Glorifying God means feeling, thinking, and acting in ways that reflect his greatness. If I take off my glasses, I can read. I can see all of you. But those who are very far away, I can tell who they are because I was wearing my glasses before. So I can tell who they are. But I cannot see their faces very clearly. So if I want to see their faces very clearly again, I need to put my glass back, and then I can say, ah, yes, I can see her face again very clearly. You know what the glass is doing? It is correcting an imperfection in my eyes to be able to see the image sharply. So it is making the person who is far away there very clear. That's what glorifying God means. The world cannot see God because God is so far away. But you, when you let the world see God through you, you magnify God. Hallelujah. That's what you do. That's what it means to glorify God. You glorify God when you allow the world to see God through you. That is why it says you feel and you think and you act in ways that make God great. I want you to think very, very deeply 
about this statement. Maybe you've never thought about what does it actually mean to glorify God? Is it to come to church and sing and praise and shout? Well, maybe part of it, but that is just a very minute and tiny aspect of glorifying God. Yes? What we are saying is that you give the evidence out of your life about the supreme greatness of God and all his attributes. Hallelujah. You, in your life, in your choices, by your language, by your actions, make people see the supreme greatness of all the attributes of God. What are the attributes of God? That God is love, that God is gracious, that God is forgiving. Will you allow people to see all of that in your life? When you make that happen, you are making God great in the eyes of the world. Am I making myself clear? I want to be sure that while I still have your attention, you understand the most important part of my sermon. Amen? Because if you will not be able to follow me for the next 10 minutes, and you can just for the next two minutes understand this particular principle, I have done my job for today. Amen? I want you to go away from this place understanding what it means to glorify God. What that means is this. Whoever you have experienced God to be, and I trust that you have experienced God's love, you have experienced God's forgiveness, you have experienced God's greatness, have you experienced all of that? Then make it great for others to see. Amen? I sent you a video on our web's uh, Facebook about a woman who was singing. How many of you have seen it? It's a young woman singing a song, and he's singing about, Mama, Papa, teach me how to be a Christian on Monday. Hallelujah. If you haven't watched that song again, go back and watch it. It's a very simple message. For many of us, we think declaring who God is is Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning. No, making God great is an everyday business. It's making God great on Monday, making God great on Tuesday, making God great on Wednesday, making God great on Thursday, making God great on Friday, making God great on Saturday. And Sunday, come in to rejoice and declare your testimonies. Amen? That's how making God great is. So if you listen to that song, it's like this. Mama and Papa, you are always very busy. Always very busy. And then, you don't have time to read the Bible with us. You don't have time to point us to who God is. The only time you have for us is on Sunday. But, because you didn't have time to teach us what the word says. I nearly lost my way. But, thank God, when I discovered who God was in the Bible, I could again give my life. So, Papa, teach me how to be a Christian on Monday. Teach me how to be a Christian every day. That's how you declare who God is. When you teach your children who God is, when you teach your children to declare that God is God on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, you are not only 
practicing, you are not only practicing what it takes to make God great, you are spreading the message of how and what it takes to make God great to the next generations. Amen? And that's what God wants you to do. So when he was telling the people in Malachi, his priest, declare me, tell who I am to the generations that are sitting before you to be trained as my children. Declare who I am to your children. What God was saying is, don't make them people who worship me only on Sabbath day. Let them be people who declare my greatness and my glory every passing moment of their lives. Hallelujah. Church, will you choose to do that for God? Because when you do that, then God will make you great. Let me go back to my slide. Then God will make you great. Why? Because as you declare who he is, you are literally saying, God, I care more about you than any other thing in my life. And then that scripture of Matthew 6.33 will be fulfilled in your life. Because therein it says what? Matthew 6.33? Seek, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things shall be added unto you. In my language, we say, all those other things, we say that is jara. Amen? When you go to market and you buy, eh? then you ask the woman, I need some jara, I need some excess. God will always give you that excess. You don't have to ask for it. Hallelujah! Because God himself has declared he will give you what? That excess. So why do you have to fight for it? Why do you have to struggle for it? The winner's attitude is this. God, you do your job. Because I have declared that you will be my priority. You will be my passion. You will be the only person I care about. I told my wife before we got married. I said, Leah, I want to tell you something. And she was like, now, what is coming? Because, you know, when you tell somebody, I want to tell you something like that, it's always like a bit shocking. Hey, what is now going to happen? Is he going to say, now nah, he doesn't love me again? Or that kind of thing. Huh? There's always that shock. Eh? And then I said, when I realized that I had caught her attention, I said, um, look, I want to tell you this. I love you very much. But I can never love you more than I love God. Because if I do, I will be worshiping an idol. I want to love God first and above everything else. And when I have done so, he will help me to love you to the very maximum. Amen? And she was like, ah, ah. <laughs> If you want to love the best, if you want your husband to love you the best, tell him to love God first. Amen? If you want your wife to love you the best, tell her to love God first. Amen? Hallelujah? Amen. I mean, and... Brethren, let me tell you this. Uh, we will go a bit, I think, later into First uh, Chronic, uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul declares that if you give abundantly, you receive what? You receive back in abundance. I mean, the principle is this. The more you broadcast God, what happens? The more he broadcasts you. Are you understanding me? The more you declare glory and power and honor of God, the more God makes you bigger than you can ever be. 
That's the winner's attitude. Let me give an example. In Mordecai's story, Mordecai is the, is the uncle, if you like, the uncle of Esther, who became the queen of uh, the kingdom of uh, Babylon, where Xerxes was the king. And in the story, Mordecai vows never to bow down to any person but God. That's the reason for the enmity between him and Herman, the prince who was in the king's palace. The fact that Mordecai chose never to bow down to anything apart from God. Mordecai says, look, my God says I shall not bow down to nothing, to nobody. And Herman got furious. He says, you, this man, you are even a slave. I will teach you a lesson. You wait and see. But if God has exalted you, who can push you down? If Jesus has lifted you up, who can push you down? Because he has the final say, yeah? Are you aware of that? Jesus has the final say. Jesus has the final say. And if you are in his hands, nobody can touch you. Jesus himself declared that you are in my hands and I am in the Father's hands. No one can touch you. And that's what happens to Mordecai. Nobody could touch Mordecai because he had declared that he will worship only God. And Herman, who thought he could do otherwise because he was in the king's palace, did everything he could, even build a gallows to hang Mordecai. But what wouldn't happen? The gallows became his own death spot. Because God turned the tables around. Mordecai got honored, was given the princely cloth of the king himself, sat on the king's horse, and Herman was the one pulling the horse in front and declaring, this is what the person the king wants to honor has decided to do. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You see, if you decide, if you make the choice to honor God, your enemies will put you on the horse and lead and declare and broadcast that you are great. Hallelujah. The winner's attitude is to decide that God is going to be everything and you are going to be the one that will declare that. The second story is about David, who when he heard the challenge from Goliath said, who is this uncircumcised man that is insulting the armies of the living God? He says, you come to me with swords and javelins and everything, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. Okay, so this is what I want you to go away with. Make up your mind as of today. No matter what, no matter who, no matter where, I will always declare that God is king over my life and he guides what I do and say. Amen? If you make up your mind and you choose that path, I declare 
Even as God has affirmed in his word that you will ride high and above every position that you ever thought was possible. Amen? Um, let me go very quickly through our next two things in a few minutes and then we shall close. The next slide says, the second thing that you as a winner must know is to have the attitude of humbling yourself. Be a humble person. And I've given very here quickly what it means and what it doesn't mean. It does, not, it does say that you should not exalt yourself above others. And certainly not above God. Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. Uh, church, will you pray that I will have that declaration from God? Amen? Please pray for me every day that I will have that declaration. Amen? I beg you, if anything at all you want to ask for me, this is the only thing I ask you to pray for for me. God, let him be the most humble person on earth. Amen? Oh, and I will be so grateful. If you pray, when you mention my name in prayer, ask God for this for me. Okay? Thank you very much for praying. But if God could say that Moses was very humble, more than all men here on earth, then you must understand how that was possible because he saw God face to face. If you read down further, it describes how it is possible that Moses could have exalted himself above everyone else, and yet he chose to be as humble as any other person, humble beyond what anybody can ever describe as humility. Can you imagine that I am really, really, really able to read the mind of God? Can you imagine that I can actually tell the form of God, how God looks like? Can you imagine that I can describe the face of God? Can you imagine that I can say, God touched me with his hand? And after all of that, still say, I am nothing. God is everything. It's a choice you have to make. Being humble is a choice you have to make. It's not a coat that you wear. Where I've worn a coat of uh, humility. Then you walk around, see how I'm humble? Yes, that's me, I'm humble. No. Humility is not a coat that you can wear. Humility is a choice in your heart that you make. You see, I have the means, I have the beauty, I have the handsomeness, I have the opportunities, to use my position to achieve whatever I want to achieve, when I want to achieve it, over and above somebody else's opportunity. And you say, no, I won't do that. I would rather wait until my right moment comes. And let me give you this testimony. I was home recently, and... Uh, I went to renew my Ghanaian passport. I have a professor friend at the University of Ghana, and he also told me that week he was going to renew his passport and that of his children. And he took a letter, a protocol letter from the university to the passport office so that they will quickly renew his passport for him. 
I didn't tell him how I was going to do it. But he went there with a protocol letter. You know, in Africa, one they say protocol A. Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Those of you, Oyibo people, you don't understand, oh. Here you just get up and you go to the cement house. And then you go and you say, I want to come and renew my passport. And then they will take the money. And then two days later, you will uh, come back for your passport. Uh, no, in Ghana it doesn't work like that. You have to go and be in a queue of about 500 people. Okay? And then, when you get to your turn, if you are lucky, you are able to enter the gate. <laughs> well, I said to myself, I have the money. Um, and I know a lot of people. I have a lot of friends in government that I could just call and say, look, I need to renew my passport. And they will say, okay, no problem. We'll call the director and uh, you will just walk in there. No, I didn't do that. I decided to do like everybody else, like every common uh, Ghanaian will do. So I got up at 3 o'clock in the morning and I went to the passport office and I went and stood in the queue so that I could talk with the boys and young men who were there just to experience how does the common man experience this. And I stayed there and the mosquitoes beat me. <laughs> oh, you don't want to experience that. If you have the means, you don't want to experience that. I tell you, if you have the means, you don't want to go and stand out there and mosquitoes will bite you. No, 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 no. But I stood there and I talked with people. I experienced what they were going through. Then the moment came, they called and then I went inside. And I presented my form. They said, it will be ready in two weeks time. I said, fine. Then I came back in two weeks' time, and they said, uh, mm, we can't even trace where it is, though. <laughs> I didn't panic. I went home, and I said, God, you are God of the elected, oh. Tomorrow morning, I'm going back, and I need my passport before I leave. So the next morning, instead of going back to where I had sent the form, I went to the head office. And when I got to the head office, you cannot enter the place unless the security man at the gate has given you permission to enter. When I got there, there were people in the queue, long queue, about 500 people standing there like this. I didn't go to stand in the queue. I walked to the gate. And I just walked through like this. I just walked through. Nobody asked me a question. Uh, where are you going? Nobody, not a single person, stood up to ask me a question. Where are you going? I walked through. Then I went to the inner room. And I asked, where is the director? And somebody said, he's in room eight. And brothers, let me tell you this. If God has decided that this is your moment, even... the princess, or whatever, nobody can stop you. To make the whole long story short, I got into the director's office, and he just took my receipt and said, oh, um, okay, yeah, Mr. Nibi. Oh, just a moment, eh? Then he took his telephone. He called somebody in another room, 
He says, uh, can you check and see whether Mr. Nibi's passport is ready? Because he has to leave this afternoon. And I said, did this man know of me or what? <laughs> I was sitting there. And in 30 minutes, they brought my passport up to me. I chose, I chose to be like the common man. Neglecting the fact that I had the means to call the big men, I had the means to even say, uh, okay, I want to be the first position in line, so you go and sleep there, and I will pay you 50 cities. I think people would have rushed to do that. But I decided that I would be like everybody else. Being humble is not a coat you wear. It's a choice you make. If not to be like everybody else, to be below everybody else. And when you choose, when you make that choice, I'm telling you, it's an attitude that God will make you a winner. And as I'm speaking now, as I'm speaking to you now, my associate professor friend, who went there with a letter from, he still hasn't got his passport to. <laughs> Seriously. I wanted to affirm that before I come today, so I asked him on WhatsApp, eh, Jekere, have you received your passport? <laughs> uh, let me go to my last slide. The third and important attitude you need to have is to have the spirit of a servant. Choose to be a servant. Amen? Because Jesus himself chose to be a servant. In Philippians 2 verse 4 down, it says, Even though he was by nature God, he did not consider it something to be grasped. Rather, he humbled himself and took the position of a servant. And he not only took the position of a servant, he demonstrated how it is to be a servant. He washed his disciples' feet. That's what it means to be a servant. These three things I suggest to you Bundle them up in your life. Make it your attitude, your daily attitude. Not Sunday attitude. Not an attitude only when you are going to job application. No. Not an attitude when you are going to your pastor. No. Make it your daily attitude by choice. And you will see what God will do. Amen? Today, God is going to lift up somebody. Amen? I pray that it is you. Amen? Amen. Today, God is going to make somebody first. I pray it is you. Amen? Amen? And today, you are all praying for me to be the most humble person on earth. Amen? Amen. And I'm very grateful. Hallelujah. Amen. Shall we rise and let's begin to thank God for the fact that he is opening our eyes today to see what it takes to be a winner. The attitude it takes to be a winner. It's one that honors and glorifies and puts God above everything else and puts God above everyone else and puts God above all titles and puts God above all connections. What is your connection? Forget about all those connections. Think of what God can do. His connection is the best connection. His choice is the best choice. God's election is the best election you can ever have. Are you going to 
decide today that you will choose God above all else, that you will choose Jesus in your life above everything else, that you will choose him and his way of doing things. If you are here and you have not even as yet known Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, because it is a personal relationship that you must build with him, let's talk after this service. So let's guide one another as to how you can make God your personal Lord and Savior. And then you can begin to have that opportunity of declaring who he is. Let's pray. And what I want you to be asking God today is, Lord, make me, not only to understand, but to make this choice that I will make you my passion. I will make you the passion of my life. Pray that prayer. God, I will make you the passion of my life. God, I will make you the passion of my life. I will choose things because it honors you. I will use words because they honor you. I will go to places because it honors your name. I will choose friends because they honor your name. I will choose people. I will choose people in my life. I will walk that kind of walk that brings you honor, that brings you glory, that allows people to see your goodness. If you make that choice today, God will honor you as well. Pray that prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, your children are before you today. And we are declaring that you are God and that you are king. But let our declaration not be only in this house. Let it be so in our lecture theaters. Let it be so at our workplaces. Let our declaration be seen. When we go shopping, when we walk on the streets, may people identify us not by the shoe we wear, not by the coat we wear. May they be able to see the light of Jesus Christ through the way we choose and through the way we converse. This, O oh God, is my choice. And I pray, O oh God, that that will be the choice of my brothers and sisters here. That they will declare that there is no other God apart from you. To the glory and honor of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we have prayed. Amen. Okay, let's give glory to God.